This show is brought to you by Podetize, podcast hosting and done-for-you production services that get you heard by more of your ideal listeners. Visit podetize.com to book a free strategy call. That's P-O-D-E-T-I-Z-E.com. Welcome to Pod Tease. Each week, we'll grant your wish. We'll surprise and delight you with binge-worthy podcasts that are sure to become your new favorites. Our hand-picked selection of changemakers, rebels, do-gooders, educators, funnymakers, and more will make their way onto your new and noteworthy list. Do you have a show that you think needs to be featured? Check out our show notes for your chance to be our next Pod Tease. Hey, Pod Teasers. Happy summer. I'm thrilled today to introduce you to one of my dear friends and a favorite podcast. Before I do, I want for you to think about how you even got into listening to podcasts in the first place. Perhaps like me, it was turning a wrench in your garage with your dad as you listened to Car Talk. Well, today's show brings me right back to those moments. It is a show called Motorcycles and Misfits, hosted by my friend, Liza Miller, along with a cohort of misfits that always keeps you guessing, thinking, learning, and discovering something new. You'll feel like you're in the garage with them. You'll feel like you're sitting on that porch at a coffee shop on a sunny day, sipping coffee and listening to a group of people just talk about something they are more passionate about than just about anything else in their lives. This is a fly on the wall experience. It's a special one. Because the show that she's given me to share with you today is one that almost didn't see the light of day, or the light of your earbuds, so to speak. In this interview, she gets to connect with someone that you may never have heard of, but you will be sure to understand everything about him really quickly. His name is Gary Davis, and he has something in common with Evil Knievel, Captain America, Terminator, and more. This show, this single episode is one of my favorite podcast episodes ever. You're in for a treat. So I'm going to turn it over to Liza and her crew of misfits as we mix it together. Enjoy. Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. So all podcasters eventually lose an episode due to technical errors. It can be frustrating and at times heartbreaking, especially when it's the greatest interview you've ever done. Well, that's exactly what happened to us. We recorded this interview on new equipment and at an airport with planes taxiing close by. Everything that could go wrong did, and until now, this has been in the lost archives. But with lots of time and patience, I was able to save most of the audio and bring it to you. So what do Evil Knievel, Captain America, Kenny Roberts, and the Terminator have in common? Well, in 2018, Emma, Michael, and myself scored an interview with Gary Davis, the coolest guy you've probably never heard of. Gary was inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame for his career as a racer, daredevil, and stuntman. 
1969, he raced alongside greats like Kenny Roberts and Gary Scott. In 1972, he beat Evil Knievel's record by jumping 21 cars. But it wasn't an ordinary jump. He did it with a partner, both at the same time, while passing each other in midair, only feet apart. He then became a stuntman in the movies and TV, doing all of Evil's stunts in Viva Knievel and countless other spots. Then he became a stunt coordinator and a second unit director on films with great chase scenes like Terminator 2 and Torque. He's still in the business today, as well as being a collector, a bike builder, and all-around cool guy. So take a listen and enjoy getting to know about Gary and his amazing life. We have come up to Auburn, California. Where is Auburn, you say? It's up there. Now, we are up in the Sacramento-ish area, and you know we would only come this far for a special person. I was teasing uh, the other week. This is the one I've been excited about. Okay, so um, recently inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame, and with a history that is uh, amazing and in areas we have not yet delved into on this podcast. So I'm super stoked about this. I want to uh, introduce Gary Davis, who's with us. Hey, Gary, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Oh, man. Thanks for having us up here. Um, this is a... Oh, okay. Oh, calm down, like it? <laughs> You're getting a bit breathy. I'm trying, I want to describe no, you're getting what we're a bit surrounded breathy. by. I mean, the racing mothers and the motorcycles. There's a 20-foot wall of tires behind me. And... There's movie posters, there is memorabilia, there is... I'm in Trackmaster Heaven. There is all kinds of competition motorcycles. And you know where my heart is, is with the British stuff. They're just beautiful BSA gold stars. What CC are the Triumphs? Do you prefer the big ones, 650s, or are you a 500 fan? Uh, oh, I like them both. Um, my half-mile bike is a 750 yes and uh and then my my two 500s i have a 500 road racer and a 500 dirt tracker that are some of the japanese stuff as well haven't you? oh yeah and i and i but i like the japanese stuff (laughs) (laughs) and you'll see that mainly i like hondas i mean when i was in college i worked my way through college as in honda shop so i mean fair dues you've got a couple of xs 650s as well i do yeah so we are surrounded but one of them is a real 750 Oh, really? The that o- is a rare beast. Yes, the OW31. So, you have recently been going through a change, let's say. I have, yes. And, and it's bringing, uh, it's, you're a bit sad about it. So, you may even, um, you may say a couple times about the things you had, because you've been getting rid of your collection. Well, that's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, from 264 really nice motorcycles, I'm down to 42, I think. And um, and some of the, I mean, the really expensive ones, the ones that went to museums and different big collectors, it hurt to watch them go away. You know? I know what it feels like. I had 10 and now I have eight. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> but you know, Gary, I mean, this represented a lifetime collection for you, didn't it? Um, Honestly, um I, ha- I used to keep, and when I was in L.A. working all the time in the picture business, 
uh, I kept about 30 bikes at my house, and that's all I had when I moved up here. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's when I got up here that I started really getting the great ones. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even say, maybe did you get a little out of control with your buying? I seem to recall a story where you recreated a picture from your yearbook. Uh, yes, that's very true. And, and I was about to defend myself <laughs> and, and say, how can you possibly go, go out of control when it's motorcycles? But you're right. I, I, I looked in my senior yearbook and I saw all the motorcycles lined up outside the gym. And I thought, well, how perfect is that? I'm going to recreate this picture. And I did. I went out and found <laughs> every one of those bikes. And, 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 and as soon as I got them all done and restored and in my shop, I just looked at them and went, I, I don't really know what to do with any of them. I don't. I recreated the picture and I'm over it. And, and to this day, I have more fun building the bikes than I do anything else. I mean, you know, I'm 67 years old where I am next week. And... I, I'm not racing near as much as I was. You know, I, I used to be proud to take my race trailer with 12 bikes in it and enter seven classes at any dirt track I showed up in. And if I had to throw two classes out because I was really getting tired, I'd still, I'd do good in five classes. And I was proud of myself then. That's another story I've heard about you, that you would do a race, come in like top three, get off your bike, get on another bike, go out for the next race, do top three, right? What? Come back, get on another bike, do the next one. It's in your blood, isn't it? Uh, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I love competing. You're our kind of people. I mean, this is somebody, yeah. Can you have too many bikes? No, not really. As long as you have a place to keep them and maintain them. That is my rule of thumb. As long as you can house and maintain them, have as many bikes as you want. But for some people, two bikes is too many. They can't sure. keep up with them. But I want to go back to the beginning. Okay. To your first bike. And for everyone, first bike is a very memorable bike. Your first bike is a bike that everyone goes, huh? Yeah. Except me. So you knew what a Tohatsu was? Tohatsu, yeah. I still think, I think they're still in the outboard motor business. I think. I don't know the answer to that, but there's a good chance they probably um, are. But charming little bike. Um, you had the 50, didn't you? I did. I had the 50, and and the engine looked like a Hodaka motor shrunk. And that's what exactly I was going to say. It looks exactly the same setup as a yep. Hodaka, and I'm sure it did. <coughs> I'm sure you stripped it a couple of times. Did it have that peculiar gear shift where the rod pulls out and engages yes. the ball bearing? Yeah, it was just like a Hodaka. Yeah. Okay. I know that engine so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was your first bike. Now that's an interesting choice because wow. it's not what you'd call the mainstream. No, and I didn't know any better, nor did my father who, who helped me get it. I'd wanted a motorcycle, but I didn't get that one motorcycle until I was 14 years old. It's not like I started out as a little kid riding. So mid-60s. Right. And, um, uh, and we found a bike that was affordable. Right. And so I, I got it. And, and, uh. And all I was allowed to do was ride it around the yard because I wasn't old enough to ride on the street. But let's just start. You, you got your Tuhatsu, and you're, I'm sure you were doing bad things on it, as we all did on our first bikes. And you then got into racing. Was this your way of, uh, did your dad want to get you off the street? Um, well, that, there is, there's probably truth to that because my dad was a deputy sheriff up here. <laughs> okay, um, there we go. 
my second bike was a 160 Honda, and so I rode that to and from school every day, and that's the bike I started the wheelie on. And um, and I, I I really liked wheelie, and I, in school I was a gymnast and stuff, so balance must have helped me because I'd ride wheelies all through town. And little town I'm from, Little Loomis, um, we only had a constable with the exception of when the deputy sheriffs came by, and one of which was my dad. So he would always get phone calls. Your kid's in town riding wheelies again. And, and so I would stand up on the seat and ride from Frosty to Frosty. They were either, either end of the town and, um, and just basically show off, which I don't. I, I speak in schools now about kids and tell them not to do that on the street and stuff. But, uh, but clearly that's how I started. And then I, when I went to college, um, I went out and I, somebody, I was riding wheelies at one of our breaks out in the alley, once again, showing off. And one of the kids had just bought a race bike that he was going to put on the street, make a, make a cafe racer out of it. And he said, before I do that, would you like to try and race it? And I went, no, nah, I don't know anything about racing. I, I really don't think. Well, a few beers later, <laughs> they convinced me that I would try. Not after, not that same day that we were drinking, but the next day. And so I showed up and at a, a track called Manzanita in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. And uh, it's a big half mile. And we, we were running the TT. And this was on a 350 Honda. And I understood Hondas because I was working at a Honda shop to, to support myself. And uh, I got all jazzed and got off the line ahead of everybody, got into the first turn, fell down, and got run over by the whole crew. And so they restarted the race. But I ended up second in the main that night. And I thought, wow, this is pretty good. This is uh, easy. Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, I played all the jock sports in school, but I was just one of the team members. I was never MVP for sure, and, and seldom was I a starter. So uh, I said, okay, I want to try it again. So we came back the next week, and I won. I went, all right, I found something I like. And uh, so I thought, wow, if a 350 is fast, I'll build a 450 and really be fast. Well, 450 engine weighs twice what a 350 oh, engine absolutely. does. It's a big, heavy beast. But they had torsion bar top ends and stuff, and you you know, they, you wouldn't float the valves. So uh, I'd run against all the 650 and 7, there weren't 750s then, I guess, hardly. Mostly 650 Triumphs. And uh, I ended up state champion. So Just like that? It was weird. And I wanted to cover, so you were in college and you had a major minor. What were those? Electron engineering was my major and physics was my minor. This is going to come back later. And we're going yes. to revisit the physics thing because this is, this is quite interesting. And I think your knowledge of physics, the, one of the ironies of that is why more people haven't heard of you. That's true. We're we'll going to come, come, back, to we'll that. come back to that. We're going to come back to that. So you start racing. Um, how much success did you use? You were a state champion? I, that, my first year as a state champion, which is... You know, not a huge deal, but um, and but then when I would we would travel around racing, at most of the time midway through the day they'd have an intermission and they'd have a wheelie contest or something. So that was right up my alley, and I'd go out and show off. And a man approached me and said, um, "You ever thought about jumping over cars for a living?" I said, "No, nah, that's really stupid." <laughs> I said, "I didn't know what I was doing when I started racing, but I really don't think I should go there." And he pulled out a big wad of cash. Now remember, I'm a starving student at this time, and he said. I will build your ramps, and I will book you, and you will be in a different town or state every weekend. I went, hmm, I started doing the math. This sounds pretty good. <laughs> and so 
um, uh, a guy named Mel Larson basically owned me and he worked for Del Webb. He was Del Webb's PR guy and, um, and had a couple of, uh, uh, drag strips of his own, but then he booked us throughout all the NHRA tracks across the country. So it was a little bit easier than having to jump at fairs and make, make your way over a fence and before you found the ramp and stuff. These were drag strips. We had lots of room. And I said, well, I want to do a little bit different. I want to bring someone in and make, make it a different show. So I went and talked to a friend of mine, Rex Blackwell, and, and we ended up going towards one another. We both hit the ramp and we'd cross in the air. The flying cycles. The flying cycles. So I wanted to talk about this for a second. What year was this that you started? 71. So Who you was? were 20. So you. I was 20. 19, 20 years old. Yep. So very, very young man. Who was the first one? Yes. Who started this? I mean, everybody knows the most famous jumper, Evil Knievel, but this was a trend. When did this start? The 60s, 70s? Well... There was evil for sure, and then Super Joe Einhorn was around before I was, and uh, and the rest of us came in about the same time. So this was like a trend in the seventies. Yes, uh, I went on a site called Cycle Jumpers, uh, CycleJumpers.ca, which, by the way, you're not listed, but Rex is. That's funny. You yeah. got to make a call. And there's pictures but, of the two of you, and your name is mentioned in the pictures. But they list all the motorcycle jumpers of that era by country. And there was like over 40 jumpers from America. Now, not just that era, because Robbie Knievel, um, you know, the, um, uh, Bubba, and right. his two sons. Bubba, Bubba Blackwell. Blackwell, yeah. So I think through the 70s and 80s, the, the jumpers were happening in the 90s. I mean, but Robbie's he, been jumping. But... You got pulled into this. It seems like this became a big thing and a big trend. It it well, it certainly was. Yeah. And I actually didn't like it. I mean, it was quick, easy money, as far as I was concerned. I never planned on crashing and didn't. And so I uh, and I'm the only one that can say that. By the way, I, I've made 312 public jumps and I've never crashed until I've been paid to crash. Now let's circle back around. Why do you think it is that you never crash? Well, now we're back to my physics, aren't we? There you go. Um, my ramps were right, and my bike had two speedometers on it. It had a rear wheel speedometer like a British bike, and right. it had a Japanese one on the front. And if they both say I'm doing 82, i got to believe I probably am. And so I feel real good about it, and I know exactly where that's going to put me. If one says 82 and one's winging out, probably I'm still going to jump. But if they're both doing this, I'm not jumping until I fix my speedometer. I tried to get Evil to put a speedometer on his bike. I tried to get Robbie when I was teaching Robbie to ride. Uh, Gary Wells, all these guys. Nobody trusted the speedometers. And uh, I said, okay. Every single one of them has been on their head a lot of times. Right. But as you said, nobody knows my name because I never make the pages the day after and the day after that, you know? Exactly. And so that's the irony that we're faced with in, in 2018, is you're, I'm going to stick my neck out and say you are probably the most successful U.S. jumper there is in terms of performance. How many jumps did you say? 312. Never crashed. Never crashed. There's nobody. And my even, third jump was a world record. Nobody can even come close to that. Um, There's nobody even close what to I it. What I hear you saying is all the, the, the parking lot 
stunt riders and the dank wooly bras need to like step up their game, go to college, learn some physics, put a second speedometer on their bike, and go out and make some real money and do something real because they're about 40 years behind the game, as it sounds. Am I right on this? I think you're saying trust the math. Trust the math. The math will always do you right. But you know, it's uh, over lunch, before we came here, we sat down at Mel Steiner and actually had some lunch, and we were talking about what we figured was the golden age of jumping. And... You were right there. I'm, I think the golden age of jumping was pretty much 65 to the bicentennial. That's the golden age. Yeah. And I think that's when it was most prevalent. I think that's when it was getting the most press. That's when there was really the public interest in jumping. Yeah. And it didn't just stop, but it declined a little bit. You know, in the later 70s, um, certainly in England, we had Eddie Kidd. Yeah, I, was I, our, our version. he's a good friend of it, mine. Right. Um, and, but Eddie was a little bit later. He, he kind of started in the mid-70s, but I can't remember when he did his last jump, but it was probably about 80, 80. He and, he and Robbie were, were the rivals at that time. Right. And, and I, we had a jump off in uh, Panama City. Florida, and I was announcing, and I was a judge, so I couldn't say anything. And I'm watching them set the bikes up. Robbie's running a knobby tire, which was tall, and Eddie's running a street tire, which was shorter. They're both running the same gearing. Who do you think is going to be faster? Well, of course. Right? Robbie's bike's going to blow past his bike. And, and so he was trying so hard to stay on the throttle to the last second. Now, while I'm watching them mess with his bike and adjust his chain and stuff, I see them put the rear wheel in and it's cocked. Do you know what this does? Oh gosh, yeah, I can only imagine. Right? This is the gyro effect. Yeah. You take any wheel, stick a stick an axle through it, spin the wheel, and, and try and drive it around. So Doug Demokas made it famous on a front wheel to keep it right. spinning and he could drive around his wheelies, right? Same problem with the rear wheel. So the whole time that Eddie Kidd was in the air, he'd always go like this. His bike would keep going sideways like this because his rear wheel was spinning and, and pulling him around. And I couldn't say anything. Right. And so Robbie beat him, of course. So your third jump. So, you know, there are, there are some people who will say you are one of Evil Knievel's rivals. And then... When you look at the list of jumpers, there was a lot of rivals. But you were not just a rival, you surpassed and you beat his record. So let's talk about that, because that had to have been a highlight of your jumping career. Yes? Sure. So it was, uh, was it 72? When was this? March 5th, 1972. 72. Third jump. That's what you said, right? Third yeah. jump. This is, not, this is not a seasoned professional. This is third <laughs> jump. Right. The record that had been set a was year before. A year before, same same race, even. Evil Knievel was 19 cars. That's correct. And these are 1970s cars. Those things were wide. These are big cars. Um, <laughs> Evil well, was, was he on a BSA or a... No, he was on his Harley then. He was on his Harley. But you weren't on a Harley, were you? No, I was on my SL350 Honda. Which is a great bike, but not one of Honda's most powerful. Right, that's the thing. I, I didn't I, have to be. I had lots of room. See, there you go. 
These are physics. Yeah. So, so how many did you jump? Twenty-one. Wow. Nice. And uh, how was the landing? We actually overshot. Uh, we landed. Rex, we we make passes past the cars to so I can feel that we're at the right timing. And I say, okay, this is it. Duplicate what you just did. Yeah. He amped up a little bit and went came faster. So as I'm approaching my ramp, I all of a sudden see him pop up and off the ramp. And I'm, oh, crap. So I grabbed a handful of throttles. Now I leave the ramp with my tire spinning, which is a no-no. So I'm raised up this way, trying to make the timing up. But by the, by the same token, I instead of hitting the sweet spot near the top of the ramp, I landed down near the bottom. So it was a rougher landing than normal. Rear wheel touch down, front end slam down. Okay, I just have to ask, how are you, how close are you when you're passing that's, that's each exactly other? That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> we look at these pictures and go, what are you, crazy? What about the wind? But how close were you guys and did you ever have a close call? Um, not in hitting one another. Okay. First of all, if the wind's blowing, it's blowing both of us the same direction predominantly, right. right? And our ramps were eight feet wide and I'm running up the center. So I have nearly four feet, not counting the bar width and all that stuff, agreed. Eight feet wide for two people? No, I had mine and he had his. Yeah, but you, you, yeah, you but wouldn't be to the right. Our bars, our bars were about four feet apart. Right. Wow. But the, the ramps today, the landing ramps they have are 50 and 60 feet wide. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're gigantic. But you know, I doubt whether anybody listening to us right now is ever going to jump a motorcycle. I'm, I right. do stand to be corrected. So, what speed That's are you lifting off the end of the ramp at? And you should—you've got two speedometers, so you can say with some accuracy. Right. So you want to jump twenty-one cars. 88 miles an hour. And that's... <laughs> that's where it came from? And I feel like this is an excellent yeah. chance to segue into our next... So, you have a flux capacitor on that bike? <laughs> that's exactly what it needed to be. It was 88 at that jump. Right. We overjumped. Okay, so... You I should have been going 85. Okay, but at 88 miles an hour, you overjumped. Yeah. So... Let's say you wanted to jump half the amount of cars. Is it still going to be 88 miles an hour? No. Or with a, a lower ramp? or I use the same ramp every, same si ramp every single you're, time. You're going to reduce your speed or increase your speed depending on the length of the shortness right. of the jump. It wasn't until I got in the movie business that um, I wouldn't have the ability to bring in the exact same ramps. Okay. You know, we'd have to makeshift ramps, and so I had to re reconfigure everything and stuff. And then I got to be where, even before I was working a lot in the picture business, um, guys would come to me that they had stuff to do, jumping the car over here or doing this over there, and have me figure it out for them. Right. And so now, here's your segue, Mike. So We're kind of moving into yeah, an additional you, career, you, as well as racing. I mean, you said 88 miles per hour, and all of us think back to the future, but the reality is, is that you were a stunt stunt person, a stunt coordinator, stunt director for all of the movies of my childhood. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking around the shop right now and I'm seeing, seeing movie posters that I'm like, oh my God, you did that. I'm looking at Proof of Life right now. It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. Oh. You know, and... and Ecuador. You know, knowing that you were involved in that and some amazing, uh, amazing stunt work in that film. Um, 
more importantly, I think, particularly to our listeners, and given that we're all from Santa Cruz, uh, you did a lot of work on The Lost Boys, which was, uh, you know, a movie that many that I grew up with, that many of our listeners grew up with. In fact, I was at the was the 25th anniversary showing yeah, there on the on beach, the beach yeah. at Santa Cruz Boardwalk. We're doing that next month again. Oh, wonderful. I'll probably be there. If you're going to be there, I'll probably see you then. I'll be there. Hmm? It must be the 30th. 30th? Uh, anyways. Oh, I, I think it's the 20th and 21st. Okay. Anyways. No, uh, the 30th anniversary. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. It was about five years ago, maybe. But anyways. yes. But I was there. It's, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, this is this is kind of the third phase of from, from you know, from hooligan kid running through Loomis on your back wheel, you know, and doing Dank Woolies bra, to... <laughs> You know this this evil Knievel beating the jumper with zero crashes, record breaking jumper, and now you are you are creating movies that I guarantee, if we were to give a list, uh, every single listener has seen the majority of. Um, Let's go to the start because it seems like each of these careers you just fall into by accident, right? That's true. <laughs> well, right? you know, if well you, falling is probably... That wasn't what I was going to school I mean, for. When opportunity arises, you just go for it, and you succeed in it. You excel in it. But here's an interesting fact. When you look at the, the, the movies you've been involved with, the earliest entry as an uncredited stunt rider is 1970. So you're 19 years old. That's not true. It's, so well, it might be incorrect. That's incorrect. That is yeah, IMDb is There's so screwed up. one from 1970 and one from 1975. Which what? 73 is my first one. What is CC and Company? Yeah, I didn't do CC and Company, okay. and so I know that, it's on there. Forgive me, that is an incredible No, it, 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 IMDb, first of all, there's a couple other Gary Davises, and they've screwed up. My checks go other places, all kinds of things happen. But IMDb, but there's at least 100 of my projects not on IMDb, and then I've got about, I don't know, eight or so that I didn't do. But interesting ah. enough, you said 73, though. You're 22 years old. Yes. And now you're getting involved with movies. So you must have either wanted to go in that direction or it just kind of fell into your lap. I was up here visiting my parents in Auburn, and I got a phone call from a man named John Strong, who was with Viacom CBS. And he said, we're doing a television pilot for a series, and it's called Evil Knievel. And Sam Elliott is playing Evil Knievel. And I'll show you a picture of it with no mustache. You, 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 yeah, Sam you, Elliott? Yeah. And, and he said, we need someone that will come and jump 20 cars. And we want to blow both ramps up while the bike's in the air. And I went, okay. No hesitation. Sure. I mean, <laughs> it okay. wasn't that much different than what I do, right? So, um, and then when I got on the show... It was so great. They were paying me well. They gave me per diem to eat on, and they fed me anyway. They put me in first-class hotels, first-class travel. And I went, oh, this is way better than going from carnival right. to carnival and drag strip to drag strip. Were they calling you Mr. Davis? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> How would you like your I don't even like cooked? it now when they say that. How would you like your steak cooked, Mr. Davis? <laughs> so wait, let's go back to exactly where ramps blowing up while you're jumping yeah was there a secure structure that did not blow up no i landed beyond the ramp out in the dirt okay was that the plan yeah okay i i I was to over jump the ramps and let both of them blow up 
So, so and they blew up, they didn't blow up simultaneously. While I was in the air, the first one blew up, and then as I passed over the second one, it blew up, and I landed in the dirt. And is this visible anywhere? Is it, is this, is it I've never seen the show. Uh, you know, it must, Viacom has it somewhere in some vault. Well, it's not listed on IMDb, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course not, because IMDb can't be wrong. <laughs> so, and it sounds like you had to have complete trust in the stunt coordinator, because when you were doing the jumps... There wasn't a stunt coordinator. There wasn't? So you had control over setting it up? Yep. Okay. Seems like a perfect segue. When I first got in the business, and that was that year, 73, there weren't really... Stunt coordinator was a whole new term. What would usually happen is um, the production manager of the show would reach out, or the second, or the first AD would reach out to a bunch of stunt people he knew and say, listen, um, Ronnie Rondell, I need you and five guys to come in. And why don't you just kind of gaff them? They were called gaffers, right? But just by term, and there's, there was, there's never been a stunt coordinator thing in, the, in our union for at least way back then there wasn't. Um, so I got there and I was, there was one other stuntman that came on the show to double a girl jumper and the thing was called Battle of the Sexes or something. And his name was Danny Rogers. And when I finally moved to L.A. to become a stunt guy, I lived with Danny. He's the only guy I knew. So what would you say was your first real big break in the movie industry? 1976, the movie Viva Knievel. A lot of people have heard of this movie. Yeah. So oh, I've seen so, it many times. It's, I've got to say, it's not Evil's finest acting. He can't act. No, of course not. I think it, it can be described as wonderfully horrible or horribly <laughs> wonderful. And, well, and it was at a time when they were doing those ensemble casts, so we had lots of other people, right. you know, that were, that were name actors, but not on the top of the list necessarily at the you time. You know, Gary, that's a charming way of putting it, because I saw that film recently and I thought, this is of the time. It actually made me very nostalgic. For that period of time, it really did, because it is so of the time. It, well, that's true. And, and that was my very first coordinating job, okay. officially. Right? Can, can I, for people who haven't seen the movie, I just want to... Oh, see it. Just read, see it. I just want to read the, the, the description, <laughs> just a brief description. Motorcycle stuntman Evil Knievel is offered a fortune to perform in Mexico. What Evil doesn't know is that they're planning to kill him and use his body to ship cocaine into the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing you, you didn't... I forgot all about the cocaine party, but I don't even know if I knew that. <laughs> oh, it's like, okay, so that's the premise for the movie. So I'm guessing it wasn't the script that sold it. Oh, of course not. Yes. It, was, it was that evil Knievel. And, and understand that... Um, you said earlier we were rivals, and we were rivals. But I never badmouthed the guy, and I always referred to him as Mister Knievel, and that's the way I was brought up anyway. And, right. You know, and uh, and so when he found out that I was doing the stunts for Sam Elliott, he got in a big fight with Viacom, and and they took away a bunch of his equipment and stuff, and I had to bring in my stuff, and oh, you know, because you had broke his record. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, he and I didn't get along at all at that time. Then. But, I mean, we weren't doing anything. I, I didn't. He showed up at that jump when I blew the ramps up. He snuck into the place or saw, came in covered up. And he saw my jump. And I didn't know that. And when I was done with the jump, I was done for the day. They said, you can go back to the hotel. We're going to finish up. Sam's going to lay on the ground and get back up and stuff. And then um, when Sam came back to the hotel, he said, you know, 
you probably should have stuck around. He said, Evil Knievel got on the PA system, and he told everybody there that they may have just seen the greatest stunt that he'd ever seen. Wow. And I went, ooh, that's weird. And still, we hadn't spoken. <laughs> so a year goes by, and he is visiting you in England, and he jumps 13 buses unsuccessfully. Yes. And, uh, and I get woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Gary, this is evil. I went, okay, it's 3 in the morning. Whoever the shit this is, I'm asleep. <laughs> and it took him 10 minutes to convince me that it was him. And he said, I need you to come and take my place in England. I have a European tour all set up here. All my equipment's here. You just have to come over. And, and that was a big tour. That, that was big money. Tour. Yeah. And when I flew over, I didn't even have a, a, a passport at the time. I had to rush to get a passport overnight and, and stuff to, so I could head off. And uh, I carried that front wheel that's on the front of that 350 Honda sitting right over there and that speedometer and that cable with me on the airplane. I didn't check it. <laughs> it stayed with me. I didn't want to lose it because I was using my speedometer. I love stories of uh, motorcycle parts that go on planes. <laughs> oh, that was my next question. So you jumped Evil's bikes there. Yes. With your equipment on them. Yeah, if you look at the pictures of me and him together, you'll see. You look at the bike, it's got a Honda front wheel. And, it's an and you're jumping a Harley with a Honda front wheel and you a bet. speedometer. Or a speedometer. <laughs> Physics. Excellent. It's an interesting, Physics. interesting story, too, why Evil couldn't do the jumps for this. For are we talking about the movie now yeah, again? For the movie. Well, for, there's a couple reasons. Yeah. One, he's the star. Right. We have to treat him as though you know he's any other star. He gets hurt, we're screwed. Yeah. So the, the one of the first crashes, I did two big crashes for him on that show, and one of the first ones, I'm going to go out and ride wheelies and stuff. I have to get myself ready for to do this before I'm going to make a jump. And while I'm riding wheelies, he decides he's going to ride wheelies. So he comes out and rides with me and loops the bike over in front of everybody. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I'm sure there were people. They came out and said, you're done. <laughs> so the, everyone, you see him the next time for his close-up, it looks like chips. He's on a trailer like this. <laughs> I, I make it all these gestures and I forgot. We're, right. we're not video. Um, so uh, we had to treat him that way. And secondly... He's damn sure not going to crash on purpose. Yeah. Nobody thought I was. Again, this is my first coordinating job. So I, they asked me if how I was going to fake all this stuff. I said, I'm not. I'm going to do the crash. And that went all through the picture business. Every stunt coordinator in town knew that Gary was going to try and do something really stupid. And so when it comes time for me to make a jump, those grandstands are full of Everybody in the picture business. <laughs> and this this goes back to you would have been a much more successful jumper if you only you crashed a few times. Well, now you're being paid to crash, and you're like, sure, I can do this. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You know, my plan on the first one was hit the ramp, leave the throttle on, pull the bike over, spin upside down, throw the bike away, and then just go through the air and land on the other uh, ramp on my back, which is what I ended up doing. And Wait, then, no airbag no, no 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 they were filming the whole thing so okay. i land on my back and i could have just kept sliding burning holes in my leathers and slid out on, across it turns to grass and then across the grass but it calls for a wreck he's supposed to get hurt so as soon as i land on my back i stuck my heels in the th on the ramp and that's when the wreck started now i'm going end over end over end the bike's doing whatever it's doing all by itself we're not tangled and uh when i finally 
landed in my heap. I tried. I knew I was on my last spin over, so I just tried to turn my arms all screwed up. So I'd look bad. They were convinced I was dead. They're yelling, cut, 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 waiting for someone to get me up. And neither myself nor the extras who all run in with cameras and stuff like they're told to, they're all playing their parts. No one stops. We can't hear them yelling, cut over there. And so by the time they get to me, they think I'm screwed up. And I'm laying on the ground doing this. Yeah, that one's okay. Yeah, that, that. Oh, here I am. Again, I'm not on video. I'm sorry. I'm wiggling. Exactly. When crash, you start assessing your body. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't too bad off. I mean, I, you know, I was bruised up inside a little bit, but not as bad as I was in the next crash. The, uh, but that, that, the crash in the white leathers that I just spoke of, I, was, I had to jump over 120 feet of lions and tigers in an open cage. And <laughs> Who belonged to? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, no. no, it's a female actress. Uh, John, oh, what's her uh, name? Uh, Tippi Hedren. Tippi Hedren, yes. Oh, I was going to Tippi Hedren, which is a whole other question. But why does Tippi Hedren own all these lions? Oh, that's her, that's her passion. Like, wow. And, and it's a great place. She has a big elephant out there, and she has a, a big... Uh, a lion that they neutered and he lost his mane, so he looks like a big girl lion. Now, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, Melanie Griffith, her mom, is Tippi right. Hedren's daughter, yeah. and there are pictures of her like growing up with a lion. They had a yeah. lion as yeah. a house pet. Oh, always, always. Noel Marshall was her husband. I, I don't know if they're still married. Noel Marshall was one of the producers on Viva Knievel, and so he brought in all the lions and tigers course in the middle of the day in the sunshine lions and tigers don't want to go yeah, they, <laughs> they're they're all laying they're going yeah throw some water on me give me some shade they were all just laying so they would go in with with fire extinguishers and try and spoof them and get them go get them going and stuff before my jump and the other thing was i had to psych myself up for this jump and i mean this is a hard thing for me to do doing wrecks in pictures throwing the bike down, high side. I like to do high sides and stuff because they look better. All those are kind of okay. But jumping is something that I took very, very serious and I had a routine. And I didn't know if my body would allow me to do things wrong, to spin the bike upside down and throw it away, you know? So I was I was worried if I was going to try and save it in the air instead. And so I'm, I, I get, they go, okay, Let's, get, let's do this. And I, they take me down the other end. And there's a, a PA there, uh, a production assistant, not a sp- speaker. And he's got a radio. He's beside me. And they're going, okay, start the bike up. I got the bike running. He goes, and cameras are rolling. And action. So I'm talking to myself the whole time. Okay, you know, you know be sure you do this. Be sure you do that. And as I just get near speed, out jumps the director. And, and he waves me off to a stop. One of the cameras jammed, the high-speed camera, of course, right? So I skid to a stop and almost take him out. Oh, God. So now I go back, and I park up there, and I'm still waiting for the time. I go, okay, we got a problem. Tell them to shut it down. Okay, they shut it down. Now I get a little bit religious. <laughs> God doesn't want you to do this, or why else would that have happened, Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, t- I'm literally talking myself out of it. My stomach's turning. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to, to, I don't know if I, I don't know which end I want yeah, anything to come out of. I, I, I'm just, I'm getting sick. And I'm this close. I mean, I'm an inch from, from saying, you know what? You had your chance today. 
we're going to have to do it tomorrow. I don't think I have it in me. And I'm just about to turn and tell the kid. And the kid's had his radio turned down. And he, he's just turning it up. And they're going, action, action, action. They, no, warm up your bike. No, you know, none of that. Go. And it spooked me so much. My adrenaline flew up. I started the bike first kick, took off, and just was going as fast as I could, shifting gears. And it, it all worked. But it would not have worked if that hadn't happened, if they hadn't scared me. Because I, I swear to you, I was done. I thought they used one of the hoses on you after the line. They should have. <laughs> you know, it's it, one of my childhood heroes is Barry Sheen, the racer. I of course. absolutely adored Barry Sheen. And it's a known fact that the hardest part of any race for Barry were the last five minutes before the race. Because it's the same thing. Yeah. The adrenaline's flowing. Yeah. It's just this fear. Am I doing the right thing? But once the race started, that's it. You're in, you're in race mode. But it's That's right. just this little period of time before you do something momentous. I couldn't, for me, for many years, I couldn't go and watch racing after I'd quit racing. I'd start to smell the castor oil, and I'd hear the bikes racing. And now I've got the butterflies and stuff going right. while I'm watching them take off. They take off, they're fine. I'm the one with the butterflies. I'm sitting up in the grandstand. Living that last five minutes. It's weird. Yeah. And I could, I, I, I quit going to watch races. So I'm just curious uh, because, I, I mean, back in this era of movie making, especially in stunts, there is nowhere near as many safety precautions as are in place now. So were you wearing extra protection in your suit, stuff like that? How, how, were you, how did you know you'd be okay landing on your back? I mean, this isn't something you practice. The only thing I did was put a spine pad on. I don't like a lot of stuff on I me. Mean, even when I roll cars over and stuff, I don't wear a lot of pads because I'm always afraid that the car's going to be on fire and I'm not going to be able to get out fast enough. So I don't like all this stuff being caught up in. So all I, I knew I was going to land on my back and my tailbone. So I had my tailbone covered in my spine. And now that was, as it turns out, the easier wreck. The next wreck. The script calls for him to make his jump. You remember they're trying to kill him. Now this is the same film. The safe field, Eva Knievel, second yeah. jump, the blue leather jump. And uh, so I make this jump, and this is over a long pit of fire. And I touch down on the rear wheel, but before my front wheel comes down, because the script's going to have them, they've rigged something, it's going to blow my wheel. <laughs> so before I come down, I turn my bars sideways, so it's not quite 90 degrees, because they don't turn that far, and I held the front brake on. And so when that wheel came down, now me and the bike are married to one another right. and there's pictures of here where you can see we're we're caught up Perfect. yeah that one i i pissed blood for a couple of days afterwards that <laughs> that that one wasn't quite as smooth as the others okay so here and, we are it, it's so it's 1976 you've done a film and are you, did you kind of embroil yourself in hollywood society or because you obviously enjoyed it I mean, crashing. I dated side. lots of actresses. Right. Is that what you're talking about? Well, just the whole Hollywood thing. <laughs> um, well, I, I've never done drugs to this day, so right. so that was a big well, big part of Hollywood that I missed out on. Yeah, I get especially in the seventies. Yeah. But I mean, to be involved with so many films, and you know, can we run through some of the some of um, you've done so many? So let's just deal with the big films you've done that people are immediately going to say, oh, I know that film. Oh, well. Just 
Terminator 2 comes to mind right away, right? right. And, and uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, right. Amazing Spider-Man 2, FX, FX2, um, Against All Odds, Proof of Life, Rollerball. FX just driving that giant van thing, that truck, <laughs> UPS van. Yes. I don't know how. I, I don't know how. I, I, was, I was directing in New York with that, Chase, and uh, my daughter was with me because I was a single parent then, so she traveled with me everywhere. So she was four years old, four and a half. And I had her come, her and I walk hand in hand out into the intersection so that that truck would come at us yeah. and swerve to miss us. And I pick her up and get out of the way, and it goes up onto the sidewalk and through a sidewalk cafe yeah, and stuff. Yeah, you know, yes. that's my daughter. <laughs> that was her second job. Her first job, she was um, six months old in a stroller, and I did, had to send a motorcycle over top of her. In a oh, movie called Night Riders. So we're clear. CPS is on the route, on the way here now. Um, <laughs> I know. And I, I cut you off. I want you to continue with your list of your. Let's just say your proudest accomplishment. Yes, I think that's a good place to be. I, I, I don't. Here's the funny thing. I, I'm proud. I mean, certainly, in Viva Knievel, not a great movie, but it launched my career. Right. People knew that I was here to stay and and yeah. and do and I would do the job. Um, against, and would you say that was the beginning of your friendship with evil? Um, well, my beginning of my friendship was in '74 when I came to England to, okay. to take his place. Right. And then I, you know, I raised his boys and taught them oh, to ride. And, I mean, you guys were close, close, close. Yeah. So, Viva Knievel's one. because that was a good launch for my career. Right. And then another big milestone. I mean, I got on TV TV shows like Chips, and I was on it forever. You know, but. But a big milestone for me was uh, my first directing job, which was on Against All Odds. Okay. And it's a, it's a car race down Sunset Boulevard. A portion and of Ferrari. A portion of Ferrari, right. I rode the, I rode, drove the, I was a stunt coordinator, the director, and I drove the Porsche. And uh, Kerry uh, Lofton, who's the greatest driver we've ever had in the picture business, drove the Ferrari against me. But there was a, there was a clause on this one. Yes. We were not allowed to scratch either car, wreck any kind of car, and not cause any other kind of cars to crash. Right. And I'm going, boy, this ought to be an exciting chase. So I had to figure out a way to make it exciting. So I kept the camera moving the whole chase. So I, you're either in the driver's seat with me or you were on the side, seeing the side of the car going at us, or you were from the other car looking back. But the car, there. There was always the camera was moving with us. I wanted to take everybody for a ride. And because of that, I got lots of jobs after that, including Terminator 2. When it came around, Jim Cameron uh, said, okay, I've interviewed a lot of coordinators and second unit directors. He said, but I'm most impressed by what you did on Against All Odds. He said, you chose narrower, tighter angles. Than, than anybody been using. Everybody's using low cameras, wide angles, all that kind of and stuff. And knowing that you could not damage cars, when you're looking at some of the, the side mount camera shots, you're inches. Right. Inches from each other. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. So, um, jumping to Terminator 2, this is something when Jim and I went down to the Peterson Museum, one of yes. the bikes that we were looking at was the camera bike that James Cameron used. Right. And it's a V-Max. Yeah. Wow. Ridden by Cotton Mather. Rig attached to it, so that the chairs can be mounted in any direction, and a pole on the back so the camera can be mounted in any direction. 
as well. Did you ever have a chance to work with that vehicle? Well, I, I, I used it on T2 the whole time. I'm the one that brought it to the show. Yes. And Cotton was that's a friend of mine. That's an interesting choice. I mean, that's got all the power you could possibly want. Mm -hmm. um, well, often you're, you're, you're riding at least two up and sometimes three so up. You need, you need something with a bit of go behind it. Yeah, and it's got to go from the, from the bottom. It can't be one that hits. It's, it can't right. be cammy or a pipey bike, you know? Yeah. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I know you did two films with him. You may have done more. Can we talk a little bit about Burt Reynolds? Please? Oh, because it, it our broke dear my friend heart we just when lost. I, when, when I got the news earlier this week that he died, it broke my heart. But nobody lasts forever. Stroker Ace, Smokey and the Bandit Two. Were there any others? Oh yeah, I came in on on, on uh, you know the th uh, not Rollerball. I'm looking at my Rollerball pit poster. Um, well, let's just talk the about race cross. Anyway, anyway. Bert was like one of the stunt guys. You know, he would hang with us at night and stuff because he and Hal Needham were best friends. Right. And the reason that Smokey, the first Smokey, even happened was because Hal wrote it and wanted to direct it, and Bert starred in it. And no one was going to say no to Bert. Right. He was the biggest draw there was at and, the time. And you know, a lot of us of a certain age have spent our whole lives in love with Bert. Sure. And. I think part of the reason I watch his films, and I've been watching quite a few films in, of his in the last couple of days, he kind of plays himself. Yeah. And that's pretty obvious. When you watch a Burt Reynolds flick, you're watching, it's him. This is kind of how he, how he, he just seems like that guy. That, I, I always, I, I give credit to his success being that. Women loved him. Men all liked him and wanted, wanted to, be, to him, be him, right? And, and and a lot of the guys, guys, you know, they 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 say all kinds of crap about him, but you know who else has that is Tom Selleck. They're able to laugh at themselves and demean right. themselves, you know, for sake of of whatever. And and it's respectable. It's great, you know. Yeah, and and that's if the infamous picture of Burt Reynolds on the road. Yes. All you've got to do is look at his face, and you realize he's making fun of himself. It's the most wonderful picture, you can't and that's play, the real bird. You can't play yourself as a character over and over and over again and be right. successful at it unless yourself as a character is a fantastic self. You know, yeah. like there's, Good point. You know, uh, it doesn't work if you're like me. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, no. Oh. Hats off to to your work and, and your friendship. Yeah, and the, and and thank you for just kind of letting me know what I'd figured out anyway. But it's nice from somebody who's worked with him. No, he was he was a spectacular guy, and it's not honestly. He got a lot of uh, crap about womanizing and stuff, but the truth of the matter is, he was always looking for somebody to be with, and he was with. The, the few women that you know that he was with, he was with for a long time, each right. one of them. I mean, Dinah Shore and, and uh, Sally Field were, were two. And um, uh, who, what was the blonde's name? I Lonnie forgot. Anderson. Lonnie, Anderson. Lonnie Anderson. You know, these are, these are all, and he, you know, they all stayed friends with him. It wasn't like, you know, they had huge battles or anything, you know, or hated each other. But, you know, I kind of want to go back to you a little bit. So please don't get, take this wrong, but, but you were a very good-looking guy. And you've already said that you've dated a couple of actresses. You must have been having the time of your life back then. 
I was having fun, but I never considered myself a good-looking guy because I ran with good-looking guys. I doubled leading men. Yeah, but that, that's kind of Hollywood. But Right, but if you go out with those guys and you walk into a bar and you just watch them walk and all the heads turn and watch them, you, you know right away, you're not all that good-looking. Well, <laughs> you know? I'm going to back up because when we put out this podcast, which will probably be on Sunday night, there's going to be a picture of us three standing with you. And forgive me for bringing this up again. How old did you say you were? I'll be 67 on the 11th. I mean, you look at least 15 or 20 years younger. Well, at least. That's kind, thank and you. And you've maintained a very, very good physique. I mean, I'm guessing that working out is still part of your regimen. Silence. <laughs> Truth? I Truth? don't really I don't really work out. You, I'm, I live a pretty active life. Well, there you go. But I... I, I don't go to a gym. I don't have a weight machine. Or I mean, I like everybody else have a few of those things laying around yeah, well, <laughs> and talk about them. You know? yeah, I've got a clothes rack in my bedroom that is masquerading as a treadmill. But <laughs> right. Real, um, but yeah, no. You, I mean, you're a fit guy still. So, so I wanted to cover thank some, you. Of, some of the movies you've done that are um, memorable and iconic. Driving and riding scenes. Because that's what we. Yeah, no, 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 let's talk about the motorcycles, right? So, I mean, we already touched on Terminator 2, and that is something that anyone who's seen it remembers a scene. You've got... Uh, the kid. Edward Furlong on a dirt bike, which I, I, I learned your little secret. About the two different sizes? About the two different size bikes. So he was riding on, was it an 80? Yes, he was. And you had the stunt double on a 100? Correct. Why? Because the stunt double was a little bit bigger. But the relationship on the bike looked the same. And if there's nothing else to compare it to, right. no one knows. Exactly. And what bike was that? Were those XRs? XRs. XRs. Little okay. XRs, yeah. So Perfect little bikes. People remember this this chase scene in the L.A. River. Mm -hmm. And Arnie's on his fat boy. Yeah, on the fat boy. With mm -hmm. the sawn-off shotgun. And that's very, very iconic, this yes. revolving cocky. Yeah, yeah, he's got the, the lever gun. He's yes. got the lever gun and he's yep. cocking it as he's riding yep. this, yeah, this fat boy. Style. So let's just let's get into a little behind the scenes. Was Edward Furlong really riding? As many no. times they're on trailers. Yep. He was not riding. I went about for a month and a half before we started the movie, all through pre production, Edward Furlong had to go to gun classes, he had to go to Spanish classes, he had all these different things he had to do just for the movie. And one of them was he had to come see me for two hours a day to ride a motorcycle. Wait, he had to go to Spanish class just to say hasta la vista? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Part, part of that is because he has to go. He has to be in school of some sort say, yeah. by law. So right. we made all, everything have to do yeah. with us. So he, so he was never actually riding. But he, I, he learned to ride, yeah. but I didn't trust him to ride in the film, so I wouldn't let him, so I built a trailer. Okay. Well, it wasn't a trailer. I built something that would just hold the front end of the motorcycle, so it was a little bit better looking than the we just see on chips when the guys both hit the bump at the same time and right. stuff. Right. I just I just locked I just grabbed the the, the two sliders on the bottom mm -hmm. of the fork and the front axle, and so I, we could take him anywhere and just he would follow. Wow. So that worked better, and I used the same thing on Starsky and Hutch, because the same deal. Both the boys mm -hmm. had to come to me and train every day. Well, Ben Stiller did, but um, 
What's his twit? Wouldn't didn't, and yeah. he, he never, never showed up. Uh, no, Luke's brother. Owen. Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Yeah. He never showed up, and so now I take my whole unit out there. I'm because I'm going to film this <laughs> Easy Rider situation. Yes. And. Oh, right, they're on uh, right. Captain we, America. Yep, we made them look just them. like it, right? Yes. They were dressed just like them and everything. It was really cool. And um, and we're spending a lot of money, right? It's And it's my unit. I'm directing these guys. And word comes down, nope, can't do it. You, he, We never signed off on, on uh, Owen because he never came to you and wrote. You never told us he could for sure. And he says he can, but he's never proved it. So I had already planned that this might happen so i built the same type of rig that i did on t2 and grabbed his bike so he never rode and so i would hit whenever you saw the two bikes together they were doubles or they were his double which was jn roberts son jimmy roberts oh, okay it was his double and and you know the other would be great they did everything but he never rode did arnold schwarzenegger Yes. Aha. Okay. We put him on a trailer for some stuff, mm -hmm, but he mm -hmm. but he rides. It's good to know he's doing all riding. And one of the interesting things um, in that scene where he has to jump the fat boy into yeah. the LA River, which would be virtually impossible. Correct. Especially on a bike like that. So there's a couple questions. First, I know I've seen at the AMA Museum they have the police bike from. Well, for, for, it, it, was, it was the one that we ran through the through the window. The, yes, yeah. which you can tell is not a Harley underneath all of that. Not at all. Right, it's a dirt bike with all the bits and pieces strapped onto it. So there's different tricks of moving. Maybe. And when they, they had a what did they call? Uh, I, I had they had my Captain America bike, they had my Sidewinder one bike, and then uh, Debbie Evans brought that in because right. her husband owned that bike. And those were all on display, but after two years, I had to take my bikes back finally. <laughs> um, but theirs is still there. So what trick was used for jumping the fat boy into the it, it was never off of cables. We, I stuck a crane at each side, and I pulled a big cable between the two cranes and created a curtain rod. Right. And then put two pulleys up there and cables down to either side of the bike. Because in the movie Magic Now, making those cables disappear is nothing. We never had these kind of options in my early days. So it was never even on the ground on the top. Because if it would have been, when it shifted off of it, it would have, it would have put a bow in the, li in the line. So we, I kept it coming in just this high off the ground, or three inches off the ground at both ends as it came in. And we, you know, I had a tagline on it that went all the way to the other end and a truck would just drive in this direction with a cable on it. And as it traveled this way, this one just came out and we, I'm saying all this stuff and you're not on camera. Um, uh, so I just had the, as soon as it cleared the upper ground, I had my crane operator just put a little slack in the line and it dropped down and we had to do it maybe 30 times because it always dropped different. Sometimes it would wag in the air. Low. Yeah, sometimes it landed down. funny or bounced too much. And, and then, Jim Cameron wanted me to put sparks under it anyway, so we added sparks to it and stuff. But that whole time was always filmed, each one of those runs, from Cotton Mather's camera bike. Right. He was right underneath the, the bike the whole time, right. the VMAX.
VMAX. How cool. Um, the Lost Boys. Yes. Which, people don't remember the film, does have dirt bikes in it. Okay. Yeah, they were but all. Santa Cruz isn't called Santa Cruz in The Lost Boys. I can't it's remember. Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita. No, no, it wasn't. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. There is a Santa Clarita. I know. <laughs> it's, it's Magic Mountains but, there. Yeah, it's Santa Cruz, and everyone knows it's it was, Santa Cruz. I thought it was called something else, but I, but I get maybe it was Santa Clarita. Okay. I thought it was Santa. Right. Nevertheless, The Lost Boys. Yeah. So. <laughs> so did any of the actors ride the dirt bikes? That's just a good story too. Those were all my bikes. Okay. And then I had my director had looked at a at a a, a road race bike in a in a magazine and it had no fiberglass on it, and so he liked the naked look. It had no tank or anything, you know, it had nothing on it. So okay, so I built all these bikes to kind of replicate that and put mag wheel on one and but not on both ends and put tubular tanks on and all kinds of stuff. But all the actors had to come over and take lessons from me again. So everybody shows up at my house the first day, and Keith or Sutherland rides his motorcycle to my house okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to so let me to rider. let me know he can ride. Right. So we 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 became great friends right away. Um, but all the guys learned to ride. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's movies, and so all the guys also had stunt doubles. Well, yeah, I mean, you take uh, Alex and Billy, right, and uh, Jason, right. And Alex Winters, Jason um, Patrick. Is it the blonde yeah. whose name I can never remember? Yeah, no, me neither, and that's the one I doubled. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's very, very easy to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, these wussy actors who call for stunt doubles. But the reality is, and just to make it clear to people, an actor, like a piece of equipment, is an extremely valuable commodity. Mm -hmm. And if you get hurt on set and you set the filming back for three or four days, that's thousands of dollars down the drain and that's why they bring in the stunt doubles mm -hmm. and I, I think it's also important to note especially on a film like that while it wasn't a huge part of the film the riding that was being done in sand yeah on the you know is not like it's not it's not like you can just take a couple of laps around a parking lot and then be able to haul ass across a beach it doesn't work like that i've been riding for years and i hate sand Oh. Uh, you know, I see the oh, sand yeah, paddle tires that you got up there. On the those wall. are from, those What's are from Lost Boys. Oh. What part of Southern oh. California did you film that beach scene? Because it wasn't Santa Cruz. Yeah, it was. Was? Yeah. Wow. Did you on the beach? Yeah. <gasps> wow. I bet it was a bit further up the coast, going towards Wilder Ranch. Well, a good bit of it wasn't. We jumped off of the the boardwalk yeah. and yeah. took off right up down the beach, right yeah. then and there. Wow. wow, that's amazing. You know. Uh, Everyone is going to be revisiting these films next week. And we're going to see a spike in Viva Knievel and The Lost Boys. And they're all going to hate me. They're going, these are horrible films. Oh, what have you done to no, us? No, disagree. Uh, I can't speak for Evil Knievel, Viva Knievel. But I can't speak for Lost Boys. And when I tell you that... that and that was fun. That film is amazing for so many reasons. The, the, the sheer volume of talent involved in that particular film. Uh, Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland... Both Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, not to mention, um, God, there, I mean, there's a lot of talent in that film. One of the most talented people involved in that, his name is Bo Welsh, and he was the art director, and he and he he made everything look terrific. I mean, and it broke my heart a little bit the way they filmed it because that whole 
where, where the vampire gang lived mm -hmm. was an old hotel that fell into a crevice during an earthquake, supposedly, I'm right? For it. it doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. <laughs> but it was all it was all on stage and it was all askew like that. And it was so cool and so great. But the director did everything with tight lenses, and so you never really were able to appreciate it. If you're looking at you this way, what little bits in the back of you at slant, I don't, I don't, I had to see this, and it, and it was so great and so wasted. So let's jump to the recent, the most recent movie that you did, Chips. Oh, yes. <laughs> last year, which I remember there was a big to-do about this. I'm ashamed to say, I haven't seen it yet. Dax Shepard. Yes. And is it Michael Pena? Yes. yes. Okay. Who I know did not ride. He is not a rider. No, he's Dax not a rider. Is. Well, yeah. that, that's the joke in the film, but, too. Right. And Dax is a great rider, really. But I remember the to, to do on this was the choice of the motorcycles used. Because they're on Ducatis, aren't they? What police force in the U.S. is riding Ducatis? Well, that, that's, a, that's addressed in the film. If you, if you haven't seen the film, that actually is addressed in the film, I think. Yeah. I'll shut up. I'm but, sorry. <laughs> so was that the script called for Ducatis, or was that a choice, or was that a placement? Dax wrote the script. Dax directed it. Dax wrote everything because right. the way he wanted it. So that was his, his yeah. decision. Is he, does he favor Ducatis? Yes. I'm okay. guessing. Yes. Yeah, so that was kind of an interesting... He's really a good writer. Yeah, he's... Those I, stoppies and stuff he was doing, that was, he, was, that was, he, he was doing it, you know? Oh, because he was... Produce, did he produce it? He so directed he, it. So, how was he allowed to do those things? It's all part of the deal. I don't know. Okay. You know. So, was uh, what other uh, like was there? Are there other actors that are great writers? Because this is something that helps give bikers a good image, knowing that these people out there, a lot of the celebrities who are actually really good writers. Well, I know Tom Cruise writes, doesn't he? Yeah, writes pretty well. Right. Um, Keanu Reeves, of course. Yes, and he loves Norton's. Yes. Mm -hmm. Before we leave Chips entirely, there's one thing oh. that I do want to ask about. And yeah, I'm go ahead, sorry. go ahead. It's a hill climb. And they're chasing the bad guys. The bad guys are on uh, Ducati uh, hypermotards, and they're still on their police cruisers. And Dax Shepard's character is tearing ass up a hill, and the back end of the bike is just dancing the way that bikes do as they're moving up rough terrain on a, in a, on a hill climb. And I gotta ask two questions. One, probably wasn't Dax, but no, two, was that what was that bike? When, were they doing it on a full police cruiser, or, or what, how did that... It was an altered bike, yeah. I mean, we knew better with that, and we changed the tires on them and all that stuff, too. But it was just, for those just obvious kind of a tire and suspension swap? Or? Yeah. And, but, I mean, the day we did the, the thing where the, a carnival is set up with a whole bunch of air yeah, things and stuff. Yeah, part of that chase. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the bikes showed up there. They all have their... their very very street tires and it was it was damp it was dew I and mean, when we start early and these guys every single one of them just wadded them up out there the bikes were all over the place in pieces i love that scene it's a great scene seeing this big old bagger just dance its way up this hill so yeah so who have been some of your other favorite people to work with riders well you've named about all the ones that are riders that i've worked with um, I want to give everyone a fair, fair shot. Even 
because we talk about a lot of the movies that are successful. That doesn't mean that it didn't have amazing stunts. So I wanted to give you an opportunity. Are there any proud uh, stunts or, or writers that you've worked with in movies that maybe aren't as popular that well, people should check out? They're certainly good writers. I mean, Sam Elliott rides a bike and rides it well. Right. Larry Wilcox they were from, Chips, right, from Chips, you know. Um, he, he was always, in fact, he put out a whole line of... Uh, Motorcycle gear and stuff. I mean, he was really involved in motorcycles. Eric, not so much. Right. Um, Eric liked it when we would come flying in and do brake slides and stuff. And he tried one once, and it, I sighted him right into the front of a car, and then his bike caught up and tore his aorta. Oh. Yeah. So he too was <laughs> greatly wrist slapped. This you know? is why you can't have nice things, Eric. <laughs> so I know there's something we didn't cover. I'm doubling back. What's the worst injury you? Uh, yeah, I think heard? that's a fair question. Aside from your pride, <laughs> I've never broken a bone on a motorcycle. That's amazing. Okay. I broke my back on a movie called Smokey and the Bandit. Jump yes. in the car. It's still the world record car jump, and when it landed, it broke my back. How many cars did you? No, no cars. It was, oh, oh, record jump. I'm um, how yeah. many feet? It was uh, 168 feet at the time, which is not, I mean, cars can do way more than that now, but we don't, it, it's, it's listed in the Guinness Book as a movie jump, mm -hmm. you know, and ever, in the movies, we don't put people in them anymore. Right. Was this in the Trans Am? No, that was a cop car. So, what modifications mm -hmm. are made to a car like that for a jump? Well, some of the ones that were made were not good choices. Uh, we, not, we didn't do much, we didn't do anything with suspension or anything, and that jump should have not hurt me. Um, uh, I came off the ramp over 80 miles an hour on that one too. And, uh, and it flew and it landed decent. But normally when I'm in a jump car, I, I lay back, I put the seat as far back as I can. And I lay back in the seat and I put a roll under my, the small of my back, a roll of a carpet or a blanket. And then under the seat, I'll put a, uh, an inner tube out of like a, a wheelbarrow. Just to help cush yeah. that, right? And and I'm okay because when I land, it'll sometimes knock the wind out of me, but everything bends the right way. This car, when I showed up, for for a start, it was somebody else was supposed to do this jump, and then they backed out at the last minute. That's so when I get there, I don't like the setup, and I make them change the ramps entirely. So now I'm already costing the company money, and the effects guy had invented this seat with shock absorbers on it. Well, I'm already a little bit weird about that because I don't know anything about this. I haven't seen any testing on this. I'd rather do it my way. But I'm all, I feel bad because I've created such a burden on them to change the ramps to my angles and stuff. Um, so I get in the car and I'm sitting right against the steering wheel. It's right in my chest right here instead of me being way back. And it's got these shock absorbers. So I'm sitting straight up and down, and another thing I don't like. But, you know, I didn't want to be the big pain in the ass. So I get back, and, and we do it. And when I landed, it just crunched my, my lumbar. L1, 2, and 3 crushed them. And you know who ended up with the same injury? It was um, Tommy Ivo, TV Tommy Ivo, the drag racing. Oh, guy. yeah. And he credited that injury with a bump in the track. He was driving that four-engine station wagon thing that he used to drive. And I can't remember, I think it was Charlotte Motor Speedway had a bump in the track and it broke his back because he was just laying down that much 
And it, effectively, it ended his racing career. A bump in the track. Oh, I know a movie we didn't mention. It's another one of those horribly wonderful movies. <gasps> I can't wait. Torque. Oh. What was your involvement on Torque? I was directing, director of second unit. I wasn't the stunt coordinator. They had a number of them, actually, that kept coming in and out. And it was the first film for the director who was directing. And um, so Warner Brothers brought me in to, to direct the action. But there was so much computer-generated stuff. The only thing I really liked doing was the, the whole opening credit sequence where we're, well, we're in an area we called the Twisties. It was up by Palm Springs, and all the bikes were going along there. And, you know... We photographed it from our camera bikes and from helicopters and from everything. And, and it was a pretty sequence. And then when we went through the palm trees, the date palms and stuff, you know, I had all kinds of big wrecks in there, guys going head on at each other and crashing. What were the camera bikes? V-Maxes again? Or, um... uh, no, it wasn't Cotton's bike, but it was one like that. And it, okay. was, uh, it was a big Honda. Okay. Yeah, the big heavyweights, make, you know, I've seen... Um, you want it to be a... heavy. Yeah, exactly. I've seen concourses make very good camera bikes. Um, the big Hondas, wings make good camera bikes, and VMAXs, I guess. I think just in the opener on that, uh, it's Mulholland Drive, is it? No, the, the opening th sequence is, yes. is Palm Springs. It was all by Palm Springs. Palm Springs. So who were the writers? Uh, I had uh, that. Were these all like track guys? No, these are all stunt guys. Good stunt writing, guys. good writing stunt guys, and they volleyed in and out too because. I wasn't the coordinator. They, Warner Brothers was going through this thing where they wouldn't let me be on two contracts anymore. Uh, and so I couldn't make deals with these guys to make sure they could be available to us. And it was at the same time that um, the other motorcycle movie was being made. Uh, mostly black guys. Yeah, no, I know oh, the one you're talking oh, about. Uh, it was, uh... There was Torque and then there was... Why can't I think of this? Because I met with both of them. But um, anyway, uh, the guys were jumping back and forth, back and forth. And so some days that we wouldn't have the same riders we had the day before or, or inferior riders and stuff. Right. So it was, it, was, it was a trick. I have a question for you, Gary. Are you mm -hmm. still in the industry? Am I? Yeah. Yes. So if, if, if I, as um, a Hollywood director, said, Gary... I need you to coordinate some stunts for me. You'd, you'd be on it. You bet. I only wouldn't have been there the last two months because right. I'm going through moving hell. You're going through your moving. Yeah. You are still active yeah. in the business. Yeah. Um, anything I, coming up? That... No, I went, I'll, I'll go back to Hawaii and film a little bit more. You know, they have, they have uh, Magnum there now. And oh, yeah, the new Magnum. The new Magnum and, yeah, and, 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 and five Biker Boys. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. And five O's over there, and and I got called to go over and do Jurassic World two and stuff. But you know, it's fun for me just to go over and and, and do two weeks work as a stunt guy. Uh, I'd uh... yeah, because I mean we're primarily a, a motorcycling podcast, but you're kind of a go to guy for trucks and all kinds of stuff. And... You know, first of all, there's a lot of motorcycle riders now in the picture business, and right. you know the X Games brought in some real talent. Come on, you know so. Um, there's plenty, I don't get the calls at all the jobs like I used to, you know, and back in the days when I was starting, they were B films and I loved them. There's a movie called small town in Texas. And I was riding a KX 250 Kawasaki. Right. And, uh, one of the things I had to do was get 
on the railroad tracks between the rails and go head on at a big train. And I, at some point, I can only get out when I get to where it's a crossing. You don't just turn out of railing. Right. So as I made my turn out, my, my rear fender was was two inches from the front of the train. It just ticked it. And it made Susan George so sick watching it that she left for the day. She says, I'm not filming anymore. <laughs> but you know, you know? And those kind of things were the, my scariest. That was scary for me. In Viva Knievel, we talked about the two wrecks. The most scary one was coming down a mountain in Malibu Canyon and a truck come out of a tunnel and I have to jump out into the air and hope the hell that the truck's going to be there when I land. And it was. It was. But if I'd have been early, I'd have been snuffed. If I'd have been late, I might have lived, but I'd have been hurt. But, you know, B-movies, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. B-movies are great. And a lot of movies that we know and love now, when they were made, were B-movies. Oh, yeah. And uh, the ones I'm thinking of right now, Duel. B-movie. Yeah. Um, I hate to say it, Easy Rider. Really? That was not a blockbuster when it was made. Oh, not it at all. achieved blockbuster status right. as a cult movie. Um, uh, B-movies are great. Well, they were for me. Yeah. So, Night Riders was a lot of fun for me. Again, all my bikes. Yeah. I wanted to take an opportunity because we mentioned that you've been moving. You've been selling down a lot of your bikes. You don't have that many here. But you've got some pretty cool bikes Yeah, can here. we talk about your bikes, can we, please? Sure. And, and we're mobile, so we can get up and sure. talk about bikes. I mean, um, I think this one right here, I think Jim would be stoked to know what that is. This one? Yeah. Yes. That's an RS600. Yeah. It's a pro bike. So it's a 600cc single-cylinder Honda. It's got the radial valve head on it. Correct. Because um, he's got that Ascot build he's doing. I think he, this could be a but model for it. You, you blew my mind about two hours ago when we first met Gary and I was talking about these cute little British bikes that we made that didn't really handle very well and I was saying that this place is a mecca to Trackmaster frames. Now for those who don't know anything that is anything that goes around a racetrack with an English engine needs a Trackmaster frame. You bet. Who owns Trackmaster right now? I do. Wow. Just <laughs> wow. So Trackmaster um, has had a long history. You've got a BSA Gold Star up there, and I've never seen a rigid rear-end Trackmaster that's before. A, that, that's a Sonic Weld frame. Right. The, the same man right. started Sonic Weld and started Trackmaster. Okay. And when he died, I inherited it all because I had, he, he was ill for a while, and I was loaning him money and stuff and so he just gave me everything um when trackmaster when they started putting suspension on the 1965 triumph which was the only triumph that handled pretty decent was what they copied most everything off of and made chromoly frames as replacement triumph parts they had triumph part numbers on them so they could be legal for class c racing because the frame and the engine had to match and uh, so they were the first dirt track aftermarket frame. And uh, and then the AMA changed all the rules. And Right. If you're used to being brought up on a diet of Japanese frames or OEM English frames, when you the first time you see a Trackmaster frame, you wonder how something so fragile looking can be so strong. 
they really are a work of art and the proportion is right. just perfect that's true it's absolutely perfect you've got this wonderful twin cylinder triumph engine and I'm very much in agreement with you. Triumph make wonderful engines and lousy transmissions. Oh, yes. And, you know, it's just something we put up with. <laughs> you, know, you, you have BSA in your, in your country, and yes, they make the best transmissions. Exactly. There's no better way of framing, if you'll excuse the pun, this pretty Triumph engine than the Trackmaster frame. Um, it's a quintessential flat-track-looking bike. Um, so... We'll go down the route. We have... Um, That's a 350 XL350 Honda. XL350 Honda. Looks like a 650 Yam 750 Yamaha. Yeah, but that's the real 750. It's the real They only, they only made 30 Yamaha. of those engines. Very, very rare. And that one has an extra clutch plate. I and mean, they made, the, made it a little bit wider, so they could have an extra clutch plate on this side. But that was done afterwards by, by uh, Shell Hewitt. What, uh, what is happening there? Is that a shifter? It is. On... Top of a brake, so this is all right side? Yes. So this is a, a racer? Circle okay. track bike. Okay. It's a circle track bike, so it's going to spend a lot of its time going sideways, leaned over. Correct. Very good. And going down the line. Same on this one back here. Same thing. All the circle yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old Can-Am Bombardier. Yes. Tough bike. It, they're a great bike, and that one's really fast, and it's set up for Motard. Okay, yeah. Look, it's got a small front wheel on it. Yep. Um, Interesting tires. Um, dirt track tires. Dirt track tires. Because in Motard, you're half on dirt and half on pavement. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, am I right in assuming, I, th I think Motard really got its start in Carlsbad? Yes, that was the first Super TT, they called them. Okay, then. and that was back in the early 80s, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that? 450 Honda uh, right. two-stroke was a big deal to have then. Very good. Going down the line, we have another 650 Yamaha. That's a 650 with a 750 kit on it. That's not, you know, that's again, that's what most everybody else has. They don't have that engine. We are here in Auburn at Fast Fridays. You've got a Speedway bike up there. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That particular one belongs to Jason Crump, three-time world champion, lives in Australia. And I keep the bike here. I love that front suspension. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like the old, the old days, but they're, they're rubber bands, yes. Rubber bands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what's next to it? Okay, well, it's a two-valve Jawa motor in it, like out of a Speedway bike. Okay. That we thought, you know, we'd have a little more reliability. Very nostalgic-looking bike. Yes, it's, it's a, like an old a 1918 board tracker. Okay. And let's cover these nice astronaut helmets. Right? Oh, yes. Uh, aren't those amazing? That If I would have fallen off on any of those, I'd be dead. Are those are know? those are just my jump ones that match are those leathers. Uh, no. The two, the that's a bell. Yeah. And the first one, I mean, no, I, the first one's not a bell. This is. Oh yeah, this is this is the way to my first helmet. Yeah. And those two are premier. And so, again, we're moving down the line. Captain America bike. Yes, this that's. This is a big deal. Bike. This is a big, this is a big deal. deal. This is a big deal. I keep thinking that somebody from Google or Apple or something is going to have to have this in their house and put a glass bar over it or something because this is the bike that i rode as captain america in 79 we did two different movies of captain america and this one i rode all through folsom prison and jumped it off the top of the prison and i oh. don't know whether you noticed michael's tattoo on i did notice that i was warned that was coming and uh, i like <laughs> the story about filming about the double gates oh very good now, i'm inside the, the first gate there um they won't open both sets of gates at the same time. They'll all run out. Ever. 
Very often, okay. no matter what, who, no matter what vehicle's no matter there. who you are. No right. matter. They open the first gate, go in that far, they close that gate, then they open the second gate. Well, I'm supposed to be on this rocket thing, and so I come bursting out of the back of a van with all, that's all full of all kinds of smoke, and I come racing as fast as I can to get through the first gate, and then I have to skid to a stop before I hit the second gate, and then, and then I have to try and get as fast as I can going in that short distance after they open that gate. But... Um, yeah, that was that was a fun and day. And what's underneath all those clothes? A TT500, uh, the clothes? Well, that, you know, the, the, the... A TT500 Yamaha. Okay, that's a, that's a good high torque engine. It was now, at that day. Did you design this bike? I, I oversaw the building of it so they wouldn't get carried away. It was, it was designed uh, by Universal Studios and... Uh, I don't even know what Marvel, I don't know what the deal was. Marvel had something to do, but not as much as they do now. Okay. Whose, whose idea was it to put the shield on the front that doubles as a windshield? You know, I don't know, but that was great. You know, um, mine's bolted on, on this right. bike, but on the, when any bike that here I would dismount from, we had to just, we'd stick our arm in it and it pops off and we go fight the bad guys. Right. So, okay, oh, this is you in the spandex. <laughs> you don't think I was a popular boy in the red, white, and blue spandex? No, so we, oh. we can ask the, the Burt Ward question. <laughs> What were you wearing underneath the spandex? A smile. <laughs> the truth. The truth. Red Brown's much more muscular than I would. I was wearing a full wetsuit underneath there. I was dying. Yeah, Whoa. I can imagine. Um, and we're going to go down the line. Now, this is where my heart is. Ah, the Not BSA Gold Star. Because my hometown is actually in the name. I'm from Birmingham? Birmingham? I am from Birmingham. I'm a true Brummie. Um, so what we have is a BSA Gold Star. And for those who don't understand what a BSA Gold Star is, um, in the very early 60s, BSA came up with this thing, which was a very, very over-square single-cylinder engine. It made massive amounts of power for the time. A bit like sitting behind a jackhammer. Immensely powerful, very noisy, a lot of clatter, a lot of forward motion. Wonderful transmission. Wonderful transmission. Absolutely wonderful transmission, and again in this gorgeous nickel-plated Trackmaster frame. It's it's an absolute work of art. I'm absolutely captivated by it. If I could marry a bike, it would be that bike. Well, mine winds up pretty high actually, mm -hmm. um, because mine has a one-piece nourish crank in it. Mine has uh, dual plugs in it. Right. So no. you've got all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, the only thing that, that's really more impressive than the outside of a Gold Star engine is when you actually look inside them. Um, but a, just a wonderful, wonderful bike and a wonderful period piece. And this is the rigid frame. Yeah, well, it's, and it's, there it's, it is. It's Sonic Weld. It's a Sonic Weld frame. Yeah. Wonderful bike. It's, Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's my favorite bike that I still have. You know, I, I mean, I, I had a TZ750 dirt tracker that got lots of attention and stuff but but this bike i love you know this is my my favorite bike you know my favorite quote from um a lot of people who have ridden and campaigned gold stars it's it's like sitting on a heartbeat but a very very fast okay, yeah. well you know and it's a dbd 34 which is the one you want it's however oh yes i i to this day don't understand what the hell bsa was thinking when they quit making this and ended up making 441s and stuff that was an entirely different engine. They forgot how to make them. Well, because BSA, rightly or wrongly, bought into unit construction. And everything went 
to unit construction. I, Some was more successful than others. Anybody who's ridden an A10 realize how inferior an A65 was to an A10. Yeah, backwards. Everything went backwards in order to get that egg-shaped crankcase. But, but, uh, but the unit construction shouldn't have changed what that's up on top. That I head. Know. I know. That head's everything. Maybe it just got so expensive to make. That makes no sense Price to me. <laughs> so moving down the line, we have a smaller Triumph. That looks like a 500 to me. It is a 500. Okay. T100. Um, triumph frame, and we can tell it's a Triumph frame because there's a lot of extraneous stuff on it. <laughs> yes. And it looks heavy. Yes, if I was going to race that one in the same class, the classic class, I would have to put it in, in a rigid frame. Right. But that's the stock frame. Um, looks like you've got a kind of an interesting uh, ignition setup on that thing. It's an ARD mag. You've got an ARD, hence the, the, the bulge in the timing chest. Correct. And they've, they've now narrowed them down. Oh, yeah. If you look at the one on my 750 Triumph over there, it's, it's half that size. Okay. Um, twin cylinder Honda, I'm guessing another 350? It is. Trackmaster. Gosh, that Trackmaster frame, they are so fragile looking. It, they're absolutely wonderful. If ever there was a well-proportioned bike, that's got to be it. Um, and now we go to... So now these last three are all XL350 Hondas. One, one of my favorite motors, you know, I have a lot of them. They're a wonderful motor. Honda used a lot of magnesium in the case. Correct. That's all magnesium. they corrode like crazy. Correct again. Um, but I'm a great fan of those motors. I mean, it's, it's a tractor you can ride on the road. Right, and I ride them in everything. I have... You know, this one's, a, again, it's a Motard racing one. Right, with you a know? smaller front wheel. Yeah. And, and that's in the champion frame. Yes. And as we look around, we're surrounded by posters of things that you've been involved with. Everywhere I look, there are cars being crashed, cars <laughs> being rolled. There are smiling faces looking back at me, sitting Two on Triumphs. Incredibly great BSA riders right there. And one is, is from your country. Yes. I thought I recognized him. Jeff Smith, the multi-world champion. Yes. Right? And Dick Mann. Right. And I was lucky enough. Dick Mann's um, last factory triumph, the 74, lives in Gilroy, California right now. Oh, really? Yep. And I know because I've seen it. And it was his last factory ride. I believe 74 was, was the last... Last time Triumph actually said, we're going to cut you some factory money, I believe. Well, BSA should have been kicking themselves in the butt for a long time after he got on a 750 Honda and won Daytona. Right. <laughs> so again, with, there's a still here from Starsky and Hutch. I can see the Torino jumping over yes. the golf course. Yes. With somebody who looks like a nine iron and he's right chi underneath. He's chipping out, yeah. Yeah, he's yes, chipping he's out. out of the way. But my favorite out of everything I'm looking at here. Wait a minute. Grease 2. Grease 2? Yes. There was a, there was a, uh, well, it wasn't a, it was a Triumph, what was it? There was, it was there a Honda. Was a Honda. Too. Yeah, yeah scram Honda Scrambler. Yes. And, uh, and I had to design this thing outside the bowling alley, this choreographed motorcycle ride to music. So we were out there all the time choreographed to music. And then they cut it all up anyway, so I didn't have to do that. And then this is from the director. She said, to the original Cool Rider, because that was the song. Well, that's you. Cool, cool, right. So, full disclosure, as I'm looking around at these pictures of a lot of these stunts being done, that was my dream as a child. To be a stunt person? To be a stunt person. And I, just to give you a visual, I would put on my motorcycle helmet. I bought it at the flea market for 75 cents. 
I put on my soccer shin guards and knee pads and elbow guards, and a, I would put on a life vest for my body. So far, you're doing pretty good. Like everything I could, and, and my boots, my hiking boots, and I'd go ride my bike and purposely crash. <laughs> and because I wanted to be a stunt person so bad. And then as I got older, I wanted to learn how to get hit by a car. But I couldn't get anyone to drive it. Yeah, you think? So I used to stand there. <laughs> what a surprise. I used to stand there in the driveway and run at my parents' car. Go up on flip it. Flip over it. And the neighbors thought I was insane. <laughs> they just watched me time and time again running at the car and flying over it. That's good for the hood. But you know what broke my dream? When I was much older and I was like, I want to pursue this. And this will date me a bit. Because I'm six foot tall, they said, well, maybe if Susan Anton's looking for a stunt double. Well, she was the only tall actress at the time. <laughs> right. And, I, and it kind of crushed my dreams of being a very tall woman. They said, you're not going to get a lot of no. jobs. Guys 5'6 work a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But exactly. you know, out of all the movie posters here, I always look to me the gem, the jewel. And ironically, the one I like the most hasn't even got a stunt going on in it. What? But I'm, I'm fascinated by the late 70s. I feel very at home in the late 70s. And if we could get a picture, nothing says the late 70s more than this. Nothing. If I could dive back into that poster, it's 77, 78, 79, it's got to be one of those. That's three. about right. Yeah. So describe the poster. The, the poster, there's two actresses. <laughs> And the one she's lifting up her skirt, but but she's pretty, isn't she? She's they're both very very pretty. There you are. <laughs> and <laughs> the sitting on that's the Debbie. Ev that's Debbie Evans, one of the great motorcycle girls. We've been trying to coordinate with her to get her on. One of, my my all time I favorite. I brought her in the business. Right. My all time favorite scene is the Ducati on the freeway in the Matrix. Oh yeah. That's no. one of the ones I sat there moving my head back and forth. She's spectacular. Yes. This is why I brought her in the business. Because I got tired of this. <laughs> well, you look so authentic, darling. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it is such a period piece. I'm Jane it's, Kennedy. There. It's I'm a, just saying, I would have made a wonderful fool of picture. We would have both been embarrassed. I'm just letting you know. Your hair, <laughs> what you're wearing, your shoes, yeah, I'm the sure. AMF Harleys. This is the late 70s, is it, is right it here. Yeah, are you looking close at that AMF Harley you just pointed to? Yeah, I know. Look, look a, a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah that's a skid plate. <laughs> yeah. It's a XL350. No, but close. X, on, it's on. an XL. Yeah, with the high pipes. Which, 500, 1979. Yeah, it's a bike that came with a 23-inch front wheel. I'm looking at the rear dirt tire on the Harley. Yes. But you're pretty. <laughs> and you know what I had to do in this thing? That's the reason I'm on that instead of the Harley. I have to chase a guy down the alley, and as I get to him, he turns around and faces me. I hit him in the crotch with the front wheel, and he falls over my handlebars, and I have to clutch it, bring him up. He's on my handlebars. Bring him up, ride a wheelie to a trash bin, and drop him in it. Fantastic. I couldn't do that on a Harley, I'm, I have to admit. <laughs> Fantastic. This this is Charlie's Angels at Ontario Motor Speedway. Mm -hmm. And like I told you, I like high sides more than I do right, laydowns. Jackson? Yeah. 
Kate Jackson, this is a Z1R. Yes, it is. These things are super valuable now. If you've got they're a nice bike. I loved them. Yeah, Mad Max movies, right? Well, they they were riding Z1000s. Okay. But the Z1R has become such a culty bike. You can't tell because you can't see the hub, but you'll see the speedometer. That's that's my Honda on his, and that that glass and tank and cedar in that right there behind you in that case. Oh, cool! Wow, absolutely fantastic. That's the 21 car world record on that Honda behind us. This is Sidewinder one. And I know we're talking, and no one can see anything. Um, that's Grease Two. What, we, what we're going to do is, all of these pictures we'll we'll put on our website, so when people oh, listen to the podcast, they can actually look at the pictures okay. and, and figure out what's going on. I mean, here's obviously a car stunt. I'm guessing this is for T.J. Hooker, perhaps, or close oh. chips. Okay, oh, so right around that time. That's the one where I where I grabbed the front brake and turned the wheel sideways. Oh, so this is what you call the blue shoot job. Yeah. This is the second fall correct. of the Viva Canadian. Absolutely movie. correct. So That's the 350 Honda. Wow. Two, two speedometers. There you go. So, all right, we have to talk about what's next. So we've been talking about everything you've done, and we sp- we started with you're going through a change. Where, where's life taking <laughs> you, you now? You make it sound like I'm ordering boobs. Well, I was going to say, we're looking at this picture, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Is that right? You're going through a change. Is that, is that an option? Can I just order them? Is it that easy? No, where, where's life taking you? You're staying in the business? Uh, yeah, I'm still in the business. I, I'm just, my ranch that I'm moving from, I sold. It's 60 acres, has a couple racetracks on it, and my 10,000 square foot shop. And a zip line. And a zip line. Gosh, you do a lot of things. Well, we try and do our homework. We don't want to come in sounding like complete idiots. Well, I, I have twice, a, right, right outside of town, twice a year I have a, a race there, a party called the Cow Pie. And uh, so I built a Cow Pie saloon down there and the zip line you take from my house down and land on top of the saloon. And then there's barbecues and everything. And everybody comes and just eats themselves. There's 300 people at my right. party and, and it's drunk adult racing. So certainly nothing could go wrong there. If what you know? could possibly go wrong. Well, if they were naked. I'm sure nakedness comes. It comes later in the evening, yeah, it seems. Yeah, drinking and nakedness. Do it's kind of a family out. event up to that point. <laughs> right. That picture, that color picture, that's my, the one I'm about to break my back in. Oh, okay. And that's documented as the longest filmed car jump. Yep. Yeah, if you could get a picture of that, Michael. And well, that's, that's a full-size car. Although that's a German poster, that's coming off replicating what I had to do, come off that hill. And oh, I remember you saying, well, you just had to time I mean, it with the truck. I'm, I'm watching somebody off to the side. It's going to tell me yes or no, whether to go ahead and come out of the tunnel or to lay my bike down and hope I don't fall off the tunnel. Right. So you said you're going to be living out of your toy hauler. Are you going to buy yep. another palace? Have another race? If I buy, no. If I buy, no. if I buy in this area, and this is where I grew up, so I, I'm back right. home now, uh, it'll be a smaller, smaller setup. I just need a at least this size shop to work in. And you know, I was going to ask why Auburn, but you kind of answered the question for me early on in the interview. This is where you grew up. I, so I this grew, is... grew up seven miles down the road in a right. town called Loomis. And you know, I'm sure you kind of miss the whole Hollywood thing. Not so, at all. Uh, really? <laughs> you're glad to be... I get ill when I had to drive down there to work. Wow. We just jumped the, the Snake River Canyon last yes. year. And so I had to go back down there in a couple of weeks for the, for the uh, premiere of it. And... Uh, and I, I'll, when as soon as I pass Magic Mountain and I come, I start dropping. Like, I'm gonna oh. go. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> they got me in here again. So did you ever finish the Vincent? 
Yeah. Oh, I have a picture of it somewhere. I just I bumped into now, it back this, there. Now, the story I love, I was watching uh, videos of you working on it. Yeah, I was confused. It came, it came in pieces. Zillions of pieces. Pieces. And he'd never assembled one before. And he was just trying to figure out. And they're complicated. Yes. Figure out how it goes. And then you had a buddy who came over. Al Kazner, yeah. So, so are you like actually writing it yet? I sold it. Well, I was going to say. It wasn't, very, it wasn't that much fun to ride. Well, <laughs> it, a Vincent is a wonderful motorcycle that is cursed with the worst clutch in the world. It's a horrible clutch. And most riders, and the reason I asked you if you ride it, most people who actually keep them to ride throw away the clutch and put something a bit more conventional in there and not tell it. If I was going to keep it and ride it, I would have. Yeah. Um, and my Indian, hand-shift Indian, we did exactly that. I put a real transmission in right. it. So I, I don't have to go like a tractor. I just, right. I just tap my, my shifter. I beat everybody off the line with oh, my Indian. Oh, I bet you do. So I wanted to thank you for the time you've given us coming here. This, I know, you know... You're sad because you've gotten rid of a lot of bikes. I don't think I could have handled all of those bikes. It would have been a 10-hour show. This is like the creme de la creme. We haven't even talked about the track bike over here. Uh, is this a Kenny Roberts bike? That, that, that was my road racer, and at least the glass is on it, the aluminum tank and the seat. Uh, it's a brand-new frame I just put in there, brand-new refreshed motor. I'm making a street tracker out of both of those. Beautiful. There's so many things here. There is so much, so much to see. But I wanted to thank you because you've been such a gracious guest. Um, and and hopefully everyone now learns. Oh, we're going to put you on the map. No, well, no, no, <laughs> no he's already than... been on the map. But now, just even more people are, yeah. are going to uh, have an appreciation for what you've done. But I want to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, which is really hard because. You've had so many bikes, and you've obviously bought everything you've ever wanted. Phrase I'm guessing it carefully. I'm guessing that maybe there's a bike you've never had that you've always wanted that you would pay the ultimate price. So the question is, do you have an up the butt bike? Hmm. That's uh. Interesting way of. <laughs> I know. This is this, uh, uh, um, and I apologize in advance, but. Everyone gets asked the same question. And well, we actually, you named it. Once for asking. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and actually, it was an actor who oh, of course likes it was. Nortons a lot. Yeah. Really? That guy. <laughs> I believe it. So I, I believe it. I'll tell you a story in a while. Um, so, but I'm sure. Yeah, when, a bike when we're off mic, you can you, tell us. Always thought about, lusted after, dreamed about. Well, there's there. You named it earlier. There's one bike that I respect a lot, yes. and I yes. think it's pretty special. And I have, I've had just about everything, um, but I've never, I've never had a Briton. Yeah. And I, and, uh, yeah. And, yeah. The and, number and, one. And they're the number one. Yeah. They're a spectacularly designed bike. Oh, yeah. And I think the Briton comes up so many times on our guests up the butt list. It's, I think it's, it's the most popular bike. And it's not just the bike. It's not just the fact that it is so spectacularly designed. It, is, it was so far advanced. It's such a great story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with I, I absolutely yes. agree on all that. I mean, on Torque, I rode a bike that had a helicopter engine in it. You know, right. I mean, I've ridden weird stuff mm -hmm. and great stuff. And the Britain, Britain's special. You know, and it's funny, like you... Over the years, I've ridden just about everything. I've had singles, fours, sixes, triples. And I find myself 
I keep going back to V twins now. And I like <laughs> RC fifty one. Yeah. You talk about you sitting on that heartbeat again. Yeah. And there it is, RC fifty one. I guess I think that's the best bike Honda's ever you, built. You want to go quick? <laughs> You'd better get yourself on an RC fifty one. And yet it's so comfortable. Right. Quick. It's not jerky quick. It's just it's like a sewing machine. It right. never quits. You well, know? you know, the Suzuki TL1000, that's quick. Oh, yeah. But that's not a sewing machine. Quick. I agree. That's, that's, I'm going to beat you up quick. And I might kill you. Yeah, might. <laughs> um, but the RC51, it, it really is Honda's crowning achievement, in my humble opinion. And there's many bikes that people lust after, and then you ride it, and you're like, Ugh. maybe I like agree. a Vincent, right? Right. But I have a feeling that the Briton is one that, you would never be disappointed. I, I, so my current up the butt bike has been for many years is the Harley VR1000, which I don't know if I'd want to ride because I don't want to crush that dream. <laughs> but I'm I, guessing you've ridden one. Yeah, they're a nice bike. Right. They're not that bike. Yeah, okay, right. yeah, exactly. But you yeah. know, the, the thing is, it's not always about the numbers, though, because we... As bikers, we have a very different relationship with our machines. And if you crunch the numbers and distill the numbers down, you can have something, oh, yeah, it makes 160 horsepower, it's got 100 foot-pounds of torque, it handles like this. Right. But how do you actually feel when you whack those throttle bodies open? What does it do to you? And I know what an RC51 does to you. Um, Full disclosure, we are all motosexuals. Oh, I like I, I've been known to behave extremely <laughs> badly with motorcycles. I, I like that. And we openly admit it. <laughs> it's a 12-step program. <laughs> Gary Davis, how do you want to... I, I hate to say remembered um, because that's... What's going to be your, a, your, on your epitaph? You know, yeah, I mean, Daredevil. Uh, um, no, stunt I don't know. guy, I mean, racer. I, uh, uh, so some of the things I hate is when um, the news comes on and says stuntman arrested for climbing the building or whatever. Not a stuntman. Right. right. Daredevil. Yeah, Different thing. Know. So. And so I was a daredevil. Right. I lived a couple of years as a daredevil. Okay. Then decided I didn't like that carny world. Right. I didn't give a damn that it was me taking the bows and all this. There's my Vinny. Oh, the Vincent. You know, uh, um, and I got sucked into the movie business. Yeah. Now in the movie business, I'm. <laughs> I'm behind the scenes. I don't say anything, right? I, uh, if, if I'm doubling you and, you and you're my leading actress and you say you did it all, you did it all. No one has to know anything. Right. Right? And, and I enjoy all that. And I, I enjoy what I accomplished on motorcycles and stuff and, I, and, I, and the business. And as it turns out, I have an award over there. It's the Hall of Fame for the California Film Foundation Hall of mm -hmm. Fame. And I'm going to do, in December, I'll get my... My AMA one. And congratulations and those are the, on the AMA. Well, well, thank you. And those are, those, are, those are the only two things I ever gave a damn about in the right. business. So, so there you are. Unless I, mean, I get, that's, as, that's as good an answer If I get the any. Father uh, Hall of Fame thing, then, then that'll really top it. <laughs> it was, is that your proudest accomplishment then? Yes. Your daughter? Yes. Very good. For you. Good for you. And where is she now? She's in North Hollywood. She's a, an actress and, and does some stunt work down there too. Because she found out as a stunt worker, stunt person, she'd work more than as an actress. Very good. She's usually a mermaid. Good. <laughs> I'd like to cover the three bikes I know we didn't cover. Um, Kenny Roberts colors, Trackmaster frame, Yamaha 650 engine. Yep. 
Just being finished as a as a cafe racer street tracker. Very good, handsome bike. This one is finished. Street bike, Honda 754. Yep, made to look like a dirt tracker. Mm -hmm. And again, very, very handsome. Looks like a Trackmaster frame, but it's the stock frame. The stock but frame. You've got kind of Trackmaster style bodywork on it. Very it's handsome like a, red, white, and blue like colors. It's a 76 engine, but that's like that's like a Honda dirt tracker. Mm -hmm. And so it made, it's, it's made to replicate that. Very good. This one? Yeah, it's, it's a 79, a 500 Honda, but it's on, that's the one and only frame like that. That is the first single shock four stroke Honda had. It, that was designed by Gil Valancourt at Works Performance Shocks, that frame, and it was built by Jeff at CNJ Frames just for me. That's the only one that exists. It, it was all set up as a motocrosser. I rode Carlsbad and stuff on it. And then uh, now it's it's set up for the street. And then we got over here the uh, famous This is with the twin speedometers. Yeah, at, at the moment back. I put the tack back on it. Okay. Still baffled. I do not think of these as nimble bikes for jumping. It, there was no reason to be nimble. Yeah. You remember I had to do half my jumps on a damn Harley for... Right. Evil. You yeah. had the room, and as a physician, you you know, knowing physics, you had the smarts to figure out what you needed. You know, and there it is. Yep, yeah, that's the passing of us. Uh, can we just talk about this beast? Because this looks like it's going to be an interesting project. What are that, you going to put in there? That's a 750 Triumph. Okay. Then the little Trackmaster I built for my granddaughter. These are. And awesome. I, as soon as I got it, she said, "Well, aren't you going to ride with me?" So I had to build me one. <laughs> Let's wrap Let's this. Let's wrap. We'll okay. it up. All right. Thank you once again. Thank you. Gary Davis, you're so accomplished, and I'm proud to be here and to share your story with the world. Uh, as I said, we love our Californians. We've done so many things. So thanks for having us. On that note, I think we're ready to wrap. Ready. All right. We're out of here. Well, there you go. And not only is he the coolest guy in the world, he's also the nicest. He had the room set up for us with all of his stuff on display. Movie posters, director's chairs, race leathers, helmets, bikes, and photos. It was truly a delight to not only meet him, but to have the opportunity to look at all these items on display for us to talk about. So thank you, Gary, and thank you to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pod Tease, a production of the Mediacasters. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to discover your next binge-worthy favorite. For more information, visit our website, themediacasters.com, and follow us on social platforms at The Mediacasters. This show is brought to you by Podetize, podcast hosting and done for you production services that get you heard by more of your ideal listeners. Visit podetize.com to book a free strategy call. That's P O D E T I Z E.com.